Vaccines seem to always provoke controversy, perhaps none so much as the HPV vaccine. Here we have a collision of science, sex, parenting, and money. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gregory Zimmett. Dr. Zimmett is Professor of Pediatrics and Clinical Psychology at the Indiana University School of Medicine. He is also a faculty member in the Indiana University Cancer Center and holds adjunct appointments in the Department of Psychology at IUPUI and in the Indiana University School of Nursing. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Zimmett. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here. Dr. Zimmett, your research focuses on the acceptability of biomedical approaches to the diagnosis and prevention of sexually transmitted infections. What are the potential structural obstacles that may interfere with widespread acceptance of this relatively new HPV vaccine? Well, I think there, there are a number of structural obstacles you know, that people have talked about quite a bit. So, for instance, this is a relatively costly vaccine. So cost potentially can be an obstacle for those who do not have insurance coverage and are unable to get the vaccine through the Vaccine for Children program, and that can be a big obstacle. Availability potentially is an obstacle. Initially, when the vaccine was licensed and made available, there were a number of physicians who were not able to carry it. Um, I think that probably is less of an issue now, but availability of the vaccine may still be an obstacle for some, for some individuals. Another obstacle is that as a three-dose vaccine, it requires uh, young people to return twice for the second and third dose, and that that can be difficult, especially when you're talking about young people ages 11, 12, 13, 14, mm. where they don't necessarily go to see their family doctor or pediatrician regularly. How soon do those doses need to be repeated? So there's the first dose, and then the second dose is given, I believe, two months after the first dose, and then the final dose is six months after the first dose. Oh, so it really can be a scheduling problem. Yeah, it can be, and if there are not other reasons for the, for the young person, the young woman, to return to see the, the, their doctor, um, it means um, making an extra trip. Now, I assume there are attitudinal factors that also interfere with this particular vaccine especially. Yes, and uh, of course, there are some attitudinal factors that interfere with any vaccine. So there are a relatively small group of, of parents, but very vocal group of parents, who are opposed to all vaccines. And uh, so certainly they'll be opposed and, and are opposed to HPV vaccine. Beyond that, at least in my research and in actually several research projects, there are some parents who express concern that the vaccine may lead to sexual disinhibition. Mm -hmm. So it may lead to adolescents having sexual activity earlier than they would otherwise. Again, we're talking about a relatively small group of parents here, but parents who have that concern are less interested in having their daughters vaccinated. Some parents who are interested in the vaccine express concerns about safety and will often say that they want to wait a little while before they have their daughters vaccinated. Yeah, it's amazing to hear what people have to say about this. I have a mother-daughter book club, and we all have pre-adolescent age girls, really the, the prime target group for this vaccine. And I brought it up at our last meeting, what people's thoughts were about their girls getting the vaccine. And and they ranged from, oh, no, all vaccines are horrible and, you know, potentially lethal to, 
oh my gosh, I would never do that. And then one uh, woman already had her 10-year-old vaccinated. So a tremendous range of, of beliefs out there in the public. Right. There are, although I think if you, putting aside, you know, questions of parents who want to wait because they want to make sure that it's safe, the large majority of parents across multiple studies have indicated really interest in protecting their daughters against cervical cancer through use of this vaccine. I think we we often tend to hear the opposition to the vaccine because it makes it appear controversial and more interesting, but I'm not sure it's as widespread as, as it appears. Now, what about the notion, the other thing I've heard out there is perhaps waiting because maybe the vaccine will lose efficacy over time. So if you vaccinate an 11-year-old, maybe they'll have to repeat it at age 17. Is there any truth to that? I think it's a combination of things. So I, I think sometimes there is a misinterpretation of the data. So that what the research has shown so far is that both HPV vaccines, the one that's currently available in the United States and the one that is still waiting for licensure, that both of these vaccines show pretty impressive efficacy out to five to six years. And what's happened, though, is as, as those papers have been published showing efficacy for that long, people have interpreted it as saying it only works for five mm. to six years. And that's not true. It works at least five to six years. There's some evidence that, it, that the, uh, the vaccines may remain effective for many, many years beyond that. Definitively, it's going to be hard to say until, in fact, many years pass. I don't think that's a good reason to delay vaccination because there's every uh, reason to believe that the vaccine will last, again, at least five to six years and probably at least 10 years. And by vaccinating an 11 and 12-year-old, you're probably providing protection for at least again, for at least about 10 years. And if a booster is needed, you know, that's something that would be determined in the future. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Gregory Zimmett. We are discussing the HPV vaccine. Tell us about your research in this area. Well, I've, I've done several studies over quite a few years now on, uh, looking at attitudes about uh, vaccination, focusing on several different vaccines, but including the HPV vaccine. So I've, I've been involved in research looking at adolescents' attitudes about vaccination, parental attitudes about vaccination, and physicians' and other healthcare providers' attitudes about providing vaccination. So uh, th- I've been doing that kind of research for about 13 years, looking at different kinds of STI vaccines, including HPV vaccine. Currently, because now the vaccine is, is obviously available and being used, I've shifted uh, with some of my colleagues and you know, we're looking at predictors of actual vaccine acceptance. And what has the uptake been for the HPV vaccine? Are, are people using it? I think there's mixed data on that. So my understanding is, and I, I do not have knowledge of, of sort of the national rates of vaccination, but I think it's been accepted and utilized pretty well for the targeted, you know, the ACIP, CDC targeted age group, which is 11 and 12-year-olds, that there's been fairly good coverage, probably not as good as public health officials and pharmaceuticals would like, but it's still been a you know, fairly good uptake of vaccine. I think where it hasn't gone as well is in the what they call the catch-up age range, so the 
13 to 26-year-olds, especially as you get up into the you know, late teens, early 20s, that, that I think that has not been um, as successful in reaching those individuals. Thinking about vaccines in general, why is this such a lightning rod for, for opinion? What is it about vaccines in general that, that get people so worked up? Part of the issue is you're taking a healthy child, and it's something that's to prevent something that may or may not happen in the future. So you're taking a healthy child, putting something inside them with the intent of preventing something that may or may not occur in the future. And I think that that process is difficult for people not just to understand, but also to feel comfortable with. From one perspective, I've thought of vaccines. You know, people are talk, often who are against vaccines talk about vaccines as being unnatural. And in a certain sense, vaccines are among the most natural pharmaceutical products mm-hmm. that we have in that what, what vaccines essentially do is get the body's immune system to work. And it sort of identifies, it, it kind of identifies a pathogen and says, immune systems, you know, go after this, go after this virus or go after this bacteria. So it really, vaccines really are about getting natural immunity to kick into action in a specific way. But I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of mythology around vaccines. There are also historically times when vaccines have caused problems and people uh, remember that. For those reasons and others, probably vaccines have become a lightning rod in general. This vaccine in particular, I think also for a couple of reasons, has, has led to a lot of scrutiny. And one is because it prevents a sexually transmitted infection. And the second is because of the, the manufacturer of the current vaccine has been under a lot of scrutiny for other issues. And I have a feeling sometimes that there's this sort of desire to go after them on everything because of their problems with some other pharmaceutical products. Yeah, I hadn't thought about the spillover effect. Well, tell us about the next phase of your work. What do we have to look forward to? So, well, I'm doing several different things and partly having to do with where the future of this vaccine may be. And so one of the things that that's possible is that this vaccine and the other vaccine may ultimately be licensed for women ages 27 and older. And so I'm doing some research looking with colleagues at other universities looking at how women would feel about getting the vaccine for themselves. There's a lot of issues about vaccinating women who are older than 26 because the older a woman is, the more likely she will have already been infected with HPV, which means the vaccine will be less efficacious. But it may be licensed for those women, so we want to understand what would lead them to accept or not accept the vaccine. It also may be licensed for young men, for adolescent males. And so I have plans to do some research looking at parents and and, uh, young men and and their attitudes about vaccination, uh, as well as looking, if it is licensed, looking at predictors of of acceptance. The other thing I've I've been interested in and and I'm doing a lot of research on is sort of the best way to talk with parents about about this vaccine and, uh, you know, what are the the ways of framing a message and, and talking about the vaccine with parents that makes them most comfortable with vaccinating their their daughters. Any preliminary thoughts on what the best way is? Well, I think there are a number of things. I think one is it's very important for healthcare providers to listen to parents' concerns and in a in a non-judgmental way sort of rebut those concerns with with accurate information. And so that's very important in in terms of maintaining respect for the for the parents even when they disagree. 
but I think there, there are potentially persuasive ways to talk with parents. And one is would be to ask a parent, for instance, do you want to protect your daughter from, uh, from cervical cancer later in life? And what parent is going to say no to that? I mean, most parents are obviously want to protect their children from that kind of outcome. Mm-hmm. And then you can talk about the vaccine and say, well, I know you want to protect your daughter, so uh, let's talk about this HPV vaccine, which will protect your daughter from about 70% of cervical cancers. Well, that's very helpful for those of us doing it every day in our offices. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, you're welcome. We've been speaking with Dr. Gregory Zimmett from Indiana University School of Medicine about the attitudinal, practical, and structural obstacles to HPV vaccine implementation. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. If you have comments or suggestions, please give us a ring at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.